0: Good morning welcome everybody You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia Right across the Faith FM network Wherever you are, positively different radio in the morning You're with the double L team, Lyle and- It's me Liam Yes indeed it is <laughs> And for positively different news For positively different radio this morning What are you positively,
1: positively pleased about today? Look, to be honest, Lyle, I I'm I'm just pleased I'm here. Um, had a bit of a had a bit of an incident this morning. Bit of a rough start. Bit of a rough start, and I'm just happy to be here. I'm um, I'm doing well. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm thankful for. What are you thankful for? Yeah, well, I uh, I'm thankful
0: for unseasonably warm weather. That's always good. Uh, we have a there's a there's a phrase for it. Yeah, I'm just going to run with unseasonably warm weather because it has been unseasonably warm yesterday and this morning and the night before. And it's just been really pleasant, you know. It's just uh, got here at work this morning. Uh, Liam wasn't anywhere in sight. <laughs> Liam had the key. I couldn't did have get the key. In. I apologise. And... Uh, Liam's alarm, alarm clock failed him somewhere along the line, so it, it we'll, did. We'll, we'll blame the alarm clock. It, yeah, that's what we'll go with. And uh, but it wasn't cold outside, you know. No, you no know, frost on the ground, nothing like that. We've uh, had a few frosty mornings so far, it was just um, it was just actually quite pleasant.
1: I have uh, been noticing it, it's been a lot easier to get out of bed this, in the mornings. I mean, this morning I was filled with a lot of embarrassment, which helped me jump out of bed. But when I did jump out of bed, and quite literally jumped out of bed. It, um, I heard him on the other end of the phone jumping. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I did do that, um, it wasn't too bad. It was, uh, you know, a, a, I mean, it was still cold for me, but um, it was, it wasn't as bad as it has been. And it's always good when things come together like that. Um, so yeah, but um, we're, we're moving along here this morning and getting things done. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Very good. What's happening in the world of uh, positively different news this morning, Lee? In positively different news, now in Australia, we can't go back to church yet, uh, to to the church building yet. We can still church at home in small groups, but we can't go back to to big church. We can go back to big church so long as there's only 10 people there. Oh, oh yes. Um, Now, in some places around the world, you can go back to big church with uh, a limited amount of people, but more than 10. Northern Territory. Northern Territory, for example. Um, Now, there are... of course, they still have to abide by social oh, distancing yes. rules. And a, a good way to do that is by leaving a row in between, a, a row of chairs, a row of pews in between each, each person, each front. Each, each, each yeah. Row. yeah. Yep. So one way to help, uh, to help do this, to help send this message that one particular church has done is they've put up blue tape and explained why you can't sit in that row.
0: Okay, so the ones that you can't, the, every, every second row has blue tape?
1: Yes, and they've they've put up Why you can't sit in this row For example For one of the rows They've put up blue tape And attached to this blue tape A piece of paper that says This pew is saved So you will have to wait to heaven Until you sit on it Because the pew's saved <laughs> uh, Another nice. one Jesus sat the 5,000 down in rows But not the rows with blue tape So you can't sit in the row with blue tape uh-huh. Abraham was 100 years old When Isaac was born and we still wouldn't let him sit in this pew if he was here. So find somewhere else to sit. <laughs> I like that one. You will find me when you seek me. Just not in this pew. Keep seeking. <laughs> uh, the Lord maketh us to lie down in green pastures. This pew, not a green pasture. Move along to the next one. Remember, <laughs> These are really creative. I like these. Oh, I love them. Remember when the Lord kicked Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden and put a flaming sword to guard the entrance so they couldn't come back. In the original language, flaming sword can also be translated to blue tape. <laughs> uh, Zac- in
0: cheek there.
1: <laughs> Zacchaeus climbed a sycamore tree to get a better seat. Keep looking for a better one than this pew. Why did Paul refuse to make John Mark uh, sorry, why did John why did Paul refuse to take John Mark on another missionary journey? He sat in a section that had been taped off. Don't be like John Mark.
0: There you go. Very, very creative.
1: I not thought, necessarily biblical, not but... Not necessarily, but... Uh, or theologically correct. Yes,
0: biblical, but not theologically correct. But I thought it was,
1: it was a, no, a, very a fun bit. way to... And I think
0: that we need to have a bit of humor in a time like this. Absolutely. Um, it's uh, it's, it's a fun way to
1: bring things. social distancing to church. And okay. I wouldn't mind if, if uh, all churches did some form of that. If your church has done something really creative, as the lockdown restrictions
0: have been eased, and even a little humorous, then let us know. We'd like to hear Absolutely. about it here
1: on Faith FM. Because, you know, it's one thing to, to, you know, just put blue tape up and it's a bit, you know, it's bit, you, you, you can't see the It's a bit harsh. But when you have a fun reason, it just makes it 10 times better. Uh, but yeah, moving on though with the show this morning, um, there is the so the Swedish supergiant IKEA. They have recently released instructions, just like all their other instructions for all their other um, flat pack builds. They've recently released instructions for the best pillow forts in the world, <laughs> allegedly, the best pillow or, or blanket where, where you set up, you get your chairs and put a blanket over it and put pillows inside, and it's like a, a cubby house. Oh, inside. okay, yeah yeah, 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 a pillow fort. Yes, and they have twelve of these, <laughs> twelve pillow forts to to, to 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 for you to build to your heart's content. Can you go to
0: IKEA and build them in IKEA?
1: I don't know. I didn't read that. That would be very cool. Just ransacking the store Ikea trying has to some, find Ikea has the some, right
0: things. Ikea has, some, uh, has some, some random and very cool, uh, what should we say? Yeah, just, just just, ways of promoting themselves at different times with things that they allow people to do within their stores. So, yeah, maybe uh, they should organise one of these in one of their stores and all the kids well, after, of course, lockdown A- is over. Absolutely.
1: I when I was little, I used to go to IKEA quite a lot, but I'd never actually go through it. I'd always get stuck at the front where they had like a babysitting thing, and I'd go, I'd, I'd go or childminding. I wasn't a baby, Um, (laughs) and and I'd stay there for the duration of of while Mum was shopping. Um, And but towards, I think I was about ten years old, or maybe a bit bit younger. Um, But I, I was quite a while. I wasn't young, I was young, but I, I was. I remember the first time I got to go through the full store, and I felt like I'd been missing out.
0: Like, there you go. It's yeah. I think I've been in IKEA like five times in my life. Maybe I'm missing out. Maybe I need to go back. But what am
1: I missing it's in IKEA? It's just mesmerising to look at all the to look at how they've set everything up, and just the organisation is very aesthetically pleasing. There you and, go. And um, I mean, good merchandising, indeed. Right. What um, else we got happening? So, uh, if if you found if you want. $300,000, what would you do with it? If I won $300,000? If you, if you won $300,000. Yeah, I'd pay off my house. You'd pay off your house.
0: Yeah, it's a very easy Easy answer to that question.
1: There is one dude that, uh, a former NBA star who won $300,000 and he gave some of it to a blessed homeless man. Now, normally speaking, and, and he, he even said this when he explained it, normally speaking, he, um, it, that's, it's, you know, good on you, give some money. But it's just it, there's a story that comes with it.
0: Yeah, I want to hear the story because normally speaking, you'd say that's an unwise move. You know, you could make your money go a lot further in good in good areas by supporting, say, people who support homeless people to get them into jobs. Yeah. Very, very rarely does it go well when you take a homeless person and just give them, you know, large amounts of cash.
1: So what this guy did is he put he went to the petrol station and he was filling up his car. He only had about ten dollars, so he was going to put five dollars in his car. And he was going to go, I don't know. what And and the homeless guy asked for the other $5. And he said, listen, mate, I'm I'm on a run. I've got to go. I'm really sorry. Um, Just, yeah, look, no, unfortunately. And then so the the homeless guy said, look, I understand it's all right. But uh, if if you're ever blessed at all, remember me. I want a cut. And so the guy said, and he walked into the store, and he was like a certain numbered customer or something like that. And he won $300,000 into the petrol station. And he was like, this man has blessed me. And so with that $300, it doesn't say exactly how much he gave to the guy, but it was more than $5. Um, So he gave him his car. And I thought it was really nice to see that, you know, this guy, who has got nothing. He's willing to just let this guy go without taking anything from him and just live on with his life, knowing full well that he could move on and do nothing and not come back to him. Yeah So yeah Good to see some positive things Happening in our world Indeed And my final story A very quick update On our beloved Colonel Tom Moore He's he's being knighted Sir, 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 Sir Tom Co- Moore, Sir Colonel Tom Moore, he is being knighted. Uh, I don't know exactly when. What a legend! But it will be coming up in the near future. So yes, he is an absolute. We need to bring legend. knighthoods back to Australia. We, I like knighthoods. We do. So we've just got orders of Australia. And I know might. they're so lame and boring compared to Sir, someone so. Even Lord, I'm tempted to go buy a plot of land in 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 London or, or England and My be proclaimed a Lord. You're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM. Positively different.
0: Joining us on the phone this morning for our monthly uh, update from the book of Genesis is Burrand Neustratton. Burrand is our regular Genesis expert. Burrand, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Lyle. Pleasure to
0: be there. Baron, just a couple of, uh, well, I guess last time that we had you on the show, we were talking about the flood and we were particularly talking about how the water came on the earth where the water came from how it came to be here and where the water went we talked about the water from below the earth coming to the surface we talked about water uh from above the earth coming down onto the earth we talked about the mountain ranges being pushed up through the water at that particular time and we talked about some of the you know the 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 physical geological formations that we see in our world that are the result of those events but there is more to the flood than just the water you know, surging onto the surface of the earth and spreading around the world and the mountains being pushed up through that water, there is also the fact that the water recedes and that's going to have a dramatic effect on the earth as well. So for those of you who may have may not have uh, picked up uh, last month's uh, breakfast show interview with Barand, um, we were particularly talking about the flood. And so the water sitting on the surface of the Earth for a period of time and then receding from the surface of the Earth is going to have a dramatic effect on what we see in our world around us right now. So, Baron, what do we see?
2: Yeah, if you look at the uh, the ecology of the world, uh, it, it must have been so extremely different, obviously, from the antediluvian world where everything was beautiful and everything was covered with, with, with soil and Uh, Now we see, of course, as you already indicated, the mountains, very high mountains, which we didn't know from before the flood, which is a mobility of the tectonic plates converging. And uh, you get the mountain ranges, the the great mountain ranges as we know them. Um, So the other thing is that for a people to make a living, uh, to to find the, the, the sustenance in the food production, they would have to really work for it. And uh, that was probably one of the biggest changes is that they really had to make an intentional effort towards uh, farming practices. And the interesting thing also is that there was a license given for consumption of meat because there was a necessity for it at that time as they came out of the yard.
0: Okay, so when we think about you know, them coming out of the ark and beginning to practice agriculture, that kind of thing. As the water receded, you know, as the water yeah. came onto the earth and then receded off the earth, what, would, what effects might that have had in relationship to the fertility of the soil? Uh, because we notice yeah. that, you know, a lot of the mountains, of course, they're stripped bare of any kind of topsoil and they're just left with rocks. Yeah. What, what kind of, of events would we see here as with the water receding off of the earth?
2: Yeah, you would lose your top soil. That's always a problem in a flood that uh, it can deposit, but it can also remove. And as the forming of the basins of the oceans, and they, they can be so deep as we know, uh, a lot of the soil the, that would have been very useful for agriculture was removed. There is no doubt about it. It had become more difficult. Also, the hydrological cycle, which is really the... Uh, uh the, the the provision for the water that was needed for growth well before the flood it was done by a jewel that was very heavy and was wholly sufficient whereas now uh you are dependent on rain rain was not there before the flood but it became a necessity after the flood and uh yeah the the to make a living from an agricultural and that was your only option from an agricultural perspective would have been a lot harder and you'd have to go in search of, and they did you have to go to places where there is a natural irrigation of a river system uh, and, and, and areas that are subject to precipitation by way of rain, so you can grow your crops
0: Okay, so before the flood, we would have had you know topsoil all across the world and a very fertile growing environment. Now the topsoil is concentrated in certain areas. Whereabouts yeah. do they actually end up uh, migrating to after the time of the flood? What's, what's sort of one of the, the first areas where people migrate to after the flood?
2: Yeah, and that's the fascinating thing. The cradle of, uh, of civilization is, is regarded there in today's Iraq which we knew as the the land of Mesopotamia or the land of Shinar, different language, but same meaning, that means land between the rivers. And uh, obviously uh, it is a uh, much lower than the mountains where they originally landed. It's interesting that commentators generally agree that the physical location of the ark finally getting stuck after 150 days and remaining there for another seven months was the were the mountains of Ararat, and uh, there you talk about the height of some sixteen, seventeen thousand feet um, uh, max, and uh, that would be fairly high and not very suitable for large agricultural undertaking. So the people had to move to a location where they were obviously, uh, which were better suited for for agricultural uh, endeavours. Which is what they did because the land between the rivers was beautifully naturally irrigated, and there would have been good soil there. Not now, but at the time then, and uh, we're talking some four and a half thousand years ago, it was
0: right. So, or kind of like a, a a bit of a process of natural selection in many ways, really, that is taking place after the flood, where humans are going to the most fertile places on the planet and settling there rather than you know in the more Arid regions and you know it's it's what we have seen ever since uh today. Now as they come out of the ark, one of the things that I find fascinating is that they have a sacrifice. Now some people have asked me this question in the past and we have answered it, but it'd be worth just touching again. And some people ask me this question, okay, if they had a sacrifice that meant would have meant the extinction of whatever species they sacrificed. Um, and the sacrifice would have been a lamb, and yet we have sheep today. So how does that actually work?
2: Yeah, there were seven uh, pairs, of course, uh, on, the, uh, on the ark, taken on the ark that, um, uh, of the clean animals. And uh, so the, the, the frequency of the sacrificial system is not, is not indicated. It indicates that Moses... Uh, sorry that <laughs> Noah did indicate that he wanted to express his gratitude and his faith in the redeemer to come, which is really what the sacrifice was all about and the uh, submission to the will of god and uh so he that would have been very spared the uh, the, uh the, the, the the procedure of sacrifice because seven pairs bearing in mind that procreation would not have been uh really uh, expected on board of the ark um that might have been dormant at that time uh and so yeah that would have been very sparse but obviously as they multiplied um it became became part of the the lifestyle of the believers to express their faith in the redeemer to come through the sacrificial system and and part of that is also an expression of submission to the will of god
0: God honoured their sacrifice with a rainbow. The rainbow has come to symbolise, you know, yeah. something different today. But uh, yeah. biblically speaking, what is that rainbow a symbol of, and why did God use a rainbow?
2: Yes, he did, because it's really it, it's fascinating when you look at a rainbow. and It still fascinates us today, and uh, and uh, and so the uh, the reality is that from from the ultraviolet to the infrared. If you join all the colours of the rainbow together, you have a colourless light. Light is the visible um, portion of the electromagnetic spectrum, and uh, so we need that because without it, there can be no light. So there is a very strong uh, connection. This light itself, light is is light, and and Christ said he is the light, and uh, so he, he takes it from there as well, and so. Uh, the the interesting thing is what you need to allow for a rainbow is two components. You need direct sunlight and you need trillions of little prisms of raindrops. And uh, they function as a prism. There. The, the light falls into the prism and then gets refracted as it enters. It gets to the other side of the little prism, the little droplet. It gets reflected. And then it gets, uh, uh through the, the, the membrane there, it goes in a refracted way outside again. So the refraction breaks up the colorless light into the spectrum of the ultraviolet, uh, uh to the, uh, uh to, to, to the other side of the spectrum. And that makes it a very interesting phenomenon that uh, confirms that the swaddling cloth of water vapor around the globe would have prevented direct sunlight and which is very conducive to longevity and there have been experiments with that and and affirmation and confirmation of that fact is true the other thing is there's of course you need the rain you need the rain droplets that function as prisms and uh, well they must have not been around then at that time either because those two components make up the possibility at the right angulation that is uh,
0: of a rainbow that we can observe from time to time. It's, it's interesting because you kind of, uh, in my mind's eye, I see Noah and his family, you know, either on the ark during those you know latter stages of the flood or even after the flood has receded, you know, wondering do we come out of the ark, do we stay in the ark? It's still raining yeah. outside. Will the rain ever stop? You know, Because yeah. every time a shower of rain comes over, it's like, well, is this going to be the next flood? Is the flood not over yet? Yes. And really in this rainbow, God is saying, no, yes, the flood is over.
2: And that is the wonderful thing, isn't it? Because God said, I will never destroy the world again through water. And he meant, of course, the whole world because we've had plenty of floods. Now, if, if, if the, the, the great flood would have been a local flood, God would have broken his word many, many, many times because we had so many floods in the history of mankind and and so many of them recorded. And so, therefore, um, it was really involving the whole of the planet, what God meant in that that undertaking and his covenant, which he made not just with man, he made it with the animals as well. And uh, which is very fascinating, yeah. Uh, God assured them that the next rain uh, they needn't fear that was not going to be another flood as they just went through. Yeah, He assured them of that. Is there
0: a relationship between the covenant made with Noah, uh, where He promises not to flood the earth again, and the everlasting covenant of the gospel?
2: Yeah, there is. Firstly, The the, the rainbow is associated really with a divine attribute, and it should have never been misused for any other purpose. But um, having said that, uh, it is the the, the covenant uh, signature, if you like, of God that he is faithful. God is faithful, and he never breaks his promise, and he never has, and he never will. And that's the assurance we have. Oh, absolutely. Uh, The rainbow has that significance, no doubt about it.
0: Mm. So the fact that we can look around at our world today and we can see that God has never brought a general flood over the planet uh, and that yeah. the rainbow continues to be there is a reminder that we you know if we can trust what God said about flooding the world we can also trust what he says about saving the world.
2: Oh, absolutely. That was always his intent and and he will see this through and it will be completed in the not distant future. He he comes good on all of his promises. Absolutely.
0: Byron, it's been uh, so good to have you join us here on the show this morning. I can't wait till next month where we get to talk about the, uh, I guess, the first great rebellion after the flood when we go under the Tower of Babel. It's going to be a fascinating uh, subject there, but thank you for joining us this morning. Yeah.
2: Pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're
1: listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We have question of the day time. What have you got for us there, Liam? Question of the day Is there any importance in finding the Ark of the Covenant? Oh, such an
0: interesting question. The Ark of the Covenant, one of the greatest archaeological discoveries that has never been made. Never been discovered. Whatever happened to the Ark of the Covenant? Okay, so there is a couple of different aspects to this question. Is there any importance to finding it? Yes, there is importance to finding it. The importance of finding the Ark of the Covenant is not from a spiritual perspective, but from an archaeological perspective. And so there are a tremendous amount of treasures that have been lost to humanity from a variety of religions and cultures and civilizations that it would be wonderful to find. And the people have been looking for for a very, very, very long time. Probably the Ark of the Covenant would be one of the most famous ones that's never been found. And so the importance would be, yes, this would confirm the biblical story or it would go partway, you know, some way to confirming the biblical story. It would contain the oldest Hebrew script ever seen. And so it would show the antiquity of the Hebrew script dating back to the time of Moses. Uh, so there'd be a number of things that would be important about finding the Ark of the Covenant. So Liam and I had a very interesting discussion while we were thinking about this question off-air about what would happen if you found the Ark of the Covenant. Would you touch it? Would you open it? And my answer to that was, yes. If I was an archaeologist and I found the Ark of the Covenant, I would... I would very, very carefully, you know, remove that from its location, take it to a secure location where it could be studied in detail. And yes, if I was the finder, I would claim opening rights, the first one to open the Ark of the Covenant and to actually look inside. And of course, the question is, okay, is that a little bit blasphemous? Because, I mean, only the high priest was ever allowed to go into the most holy place and to even see the Ark of the Covenant. And when Uzzah touched the Ark of the Covenant, he was struck dead in the past as doing so. And so would that be blasphemous and dangerous to do so in today's environment? And, of course, the answer is no. When Jesus died on Calvary, the sacrificial system came to an end and the Ark of the Covenant was a part of that sacrificial system. The, of course, the law of God that it contained you know, was part of God's eternal plan of salvation. And so that's different because it predates the Ark of the Covenant and post-dates it. But the Ark of the Covenant itself was a place where blood was sprinkled. And when Jesus died on Calvary, that came to an end. The Ark of the Covenant was in a part of the temple that was described as being the most holy place. And the most holy place, no one could go in there no one could see it only the high priest could go to, go in there he could only go there once a year he could only go there after sacrificing a bull for cleansing of his sins he could only go in there with you know having made himself right with god and he could only do it on the day of atonement and anybody else who attempted to do so would be struck dead god took this very very seriously there was you know capital punishment for defying this and so when Jesus died on Calvary, the veil that hid the most holy place was torn in half from the top to the bottom. And what that meant was that not only could the high priest see it on that day, and that day was Passover, not, not the day of atonement, the high priest could see it on that day, the ordinary priests who were never allowed to see in there could see it that day, and all of the ordinary Ordinary people who were worshipping in the courtyard of the temple could see into the holy place. They could see into the most holy place. They could see into that room on that day that they had never, ever been able to see in before, and God was not acting against them. And so God was showing very, very clearly... All of the symbolism that you are dealing with here now has come to an end. Something more important has taken place. Jesus has died on Calvary. And so the answer is no, there would be no impediment to touching the ark, to studying the ark, to looking into it. It would be a valuable piece of, you know, a valuable archaeological artifact. But it doesn't contain spiritual power that we would worship the ark. Uh, or that we would treat it in the way that God required it to be treated in the past. We would treat it with utmost respect, both because of its religious significance to Jewish people and Christian people and Muslim people. Um, So we would treat it with respect but not worship it